Welcome to the Leadership in Yoga podcast hosted by me, Shauna Kruger. And on this podcast, I'll be bringing you interviews with exceptional leaders in the yoga world alongside trainings and tips so you can experience true breakthroughs and help others do the same. Leadership and yoga, welcome into a solo episode that really is going to hold true to the title of the podcast, Leadership and Yoga, because today we are specifically talking about leading a yoga class and how to have the courage to teach your first class. So if you've hung around a bit on this podcast, you know that the term leadership, um, it applies to quite a bit of different areas of your life. And I really believe that leadership is a skill of influence. And the first person that we need to be able to influence, quite frankly, is ourself. And so all of us in some way or another are leading in our daily lives. But today, if you're a yoga teacher, you're really in the right place. And especially if you're looking to start teaching or get a little bit more comfortable as you're teaching. If you're not a yoga teacher, don't worry, you're not in the wrong place. I would ask you to perhaps apply this to another endeavor in your life or another big project that you're looking to start or take on. That is always a great way to do it. And you might just find that along the way, you find that you have a bit of curiosity about teaching yoga or becoming a teacher in some other area of your life. So all of that is welcome. Welcome all of those different feelings and really sit down today or or wherever you're at, walking or driving with an open mind and a bit of readiness to to receive and to do some deep thinking. So a lot of times uh, as I get up to stand in the front of the yoga class, I feel this need to kind of share something really deep and moving with people and I find that I can't always do that on command and so that's actually why one of the reasons why I started the podcast was to be able to capture all of these different ideas that I have and and be able to say the profound things at a time that I feel ready and and open to share them and so it's kind of funny how I will get that sort of tongue tie we're actually going to be talking about that today and ironically I just found out last week that I literally have a tongue tie like the structure of the way that my tongue is attached in my mouth is called a tongue tie and it's and it's abnormal so they said that it can affect my speech and that the only way around it would be to cut it but then if you cut it then your tongue can close your throat and I was like ah no <laughs> like leave me be I feel like I'm I'm speaking fine but how how interesting is that so Anyways, we'll be getting into all of that, but first I wanted to share just the agenda of what you're going to hear if you're tuning in today, kind of set the scene, and yeah, so what we're going to talk about and what I'm going to share first is actually my first experience teaching a yoga class in studio. I think that this is one of the most common questions that I get, and so I'm going to tell you the whole entire story. I think that I've told before the story of my audition in a studio or my double audition because I actually was not accepted after my first audition, which is a fun fact. Um, I had to redo my audition and was accepted the second time. But I'm going to walk you through my first yoga class that I taught as an official teacher signed up, you know, on the roster uh, where people saw my name down and, and came to the class to practice with me specifically. After that, we're going to get into three ways that you can have the courage to teach your first class. Those three ways are going to be, number one, confidence is a decision, so practice choosing it. Number two, choose to be on the offense, not the defense. 
And number three, prepare enough to be able to read the room and see people. So I think that the order there might be a little bit different, but those are the three things that we're going to get into today. And I'm going to start off by actually saying something a little bit controversial. But first, uh, if you're enjoying this content and you enjoy tuning into my content in general, let me invite you to my Off the Mat Mastery Program. This is a coaching program for yoga instructors. And essentially, we go through everything from beating imposter syndrome, developing your X factor, and putting your offers out into the world in a way that increases your impact and your income. So currently right now we have cohort one that is in session, and I will be launching for cohort two starting in November. In addition to that, uh, let me invite you to practice in person with me at Rio Chiripo this October 26th through 30th in Costa Rica. So this is really an opportunity to invest in yourself and experience an incredibly high vibrational place, a new community, a deep dive into your practice, and a truly inspiring and relaxing space. So if that catches your attention at all, DM me either retreats and or OMM for Off the Mat Mastery. And yes, I know that looks like OM, but that's just the way it is. I promise I didn't intend for it to be that way. So DM me retreat or DM me OMM for info on Off the Mat Mastery. So back to the programming. What I'm going to say that is um, a bit controversial, but in my it's my opinion, right? So a little disclaimer there. And that is that if you have not taught in person, and you want to be a leader or even really work in the yoga space, you need to do it. You need to make it happen. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I've seen time and time again, the biggest names, the fanciest certifications, the most advanced personal practice and the largest followings who, when you practice in person with them, it just reeks of inexperience in the in-person setting. And I don't even mean to say that in, in a rude and offensive way because we have all been there. You know, I'm, I'm still there. I've been teaching two years. So you can imagine when someone with 10 years of experience teaches versus I do, that's a different experience, right? But the way that I've felt this and the reason why I feel called to talk about teaching in person is number one, because everybody wants to know how to do it. And it's a pretty vulnerable thing. And number two, because I have experienced this as a student of folks who are extremely knowledgeable, but that knowledge doesn't automatically translate into the ability to share it with people. I kind of think a, a good example here is the example of fluency. So um, speaking Spanish, and we're actually going to have an episode coming up on the idea of fluency in language in general. but. When you're speaking Spanish, um, some of you might know that I, I speak Spanish fluently, not because I'm a native Spanish speaker, but because I learned it. And so I'm at the point now, of course, after five or so years that I can hear the blatant errors and I can pick up within a, a sentence or two just how much someone actually knows of the language. So if they say, you know, um, yo hablo un poquito, you know, immediately within that sentence, I know it sets off kind of a flag and I go, aha, okay, so not so much experience here. And in the same way, while I do speak fluently, someone from Venezuela, which is, you know, I, I speak, um, I would say Venezuelan influence Spanish because my partner is from Venezuela. So even though I may be using Venezuelan slang, 
within a sentence or two, someone from Venezuela is going to pick up immediately that I am not a native speaker. It's just obvious. It kind of like slaps you in the face, you know? And so only with a great level of time and attention to detail would I be able to truly reach that level. And so to kind of give a yoga example of this, even though I teach Ashtanga, and I'm very aware that if uh, someone who's been around the style for 12 years takes a class from me, uh, when I found Ashtanga for, you know, maybe a year and a half ago, and they're probably going to find things, and they will, I will say, not probably, they will find things that I don't know. And that's just the name of the game. That's just a fact. And so I'm telling you all of this not to suggest that you should sit there and overthink all of the details, but uh, I'm trying to explain that you giving a class in person, even at a very basic level, no matter what kind of class that is, it requires a kind of fluency. Whether you know you teach yin yoga or you teach rocket yoga, you can tell when you become a master of your craft. You can tell, even as a student, when your teacher is a master of their craft, at least from your perspective. So again, I'm definitely not going to tell you what you need to be in order to become a master of your craft. And I'm, I'm not even claiming to be one myself, but I'm going to share with you what I have found to be helpful and what others have shared on this podcast after, you know, dozens or so of interviews that I've done on how you can work in the direction of mastering your craft. And essentially, in summary, of course, we all know this, that the only way to improve that thing that we want to improve is by doing the thing. You cannot gain any level of fluency in teaching or practicing without doing it. And so this is not to discourage you, but it's actually rather to comfort you that you can start now. You know, all of these issues that we experience as teachers, which could be lack of confidence in giving a hands-on assist, stumbling your words, pacing anxiously, just not feeling comfortable or maybe feeling tense when you're in person or if you record and teach online, those are all things that we, and myself included, really suffer from. But you can tell who is on their journey to work on these things and who's been avoiding it. And so what I'm encouraging you to do today, in short, is to be someone who steps up and takes those steps on their journey. And so if you're ready to take additional steps or perhaps the very first step on your journey, welcome. And I'm really, really glad that you're here. I'm going to start now by just sharing with you what my first yoga class was like and what teaching it was like. And so um, I'm actually going to relate it to a story that I have affectionately named the Under the Stars disaster. And so I'm going to tell you about that. It's the worst Airbnb experience that I've ever had in my life. And I think that it really represents the exact same way that my first yoga class went. So before I get into giving you the details of how that class went down, let me paint the picture for you in the form of this example. So I had all of these high hopes for an under the stars Airbnb experience. It was super cool. There was this platform and it was literally under the stars. There was bed, you know, a little lamp, 
hammock super cute and so exciting over in eastern washington in lake chelan and so those of you who are from washington you know that sometimes it can be quite windy and so it didn't really cross my mind but we get there and it is just unbelievably windy and it's not even the nighttime yet and usually the wind will like really pick up towards the end of the day so we're kind of just like setting stuff up and i'm thinking oh it's gonna be a little bit weird to sleep with this much wind but oh well it'll be fine and so we go and get ready for bed and our you know the wind is just whipping by this point so we're having to hold things down we finally figure out how to set everything up like tuck in the bed sheets so that they're not blowing away and we lay down into bed and go to turn off the lamp and the wind just launches the lamp down the hill and everything just starts one by one in this big gust getting blown down the hillside where we had to go and like gather up the stuff and then you get back and more things have blown down the hill and so it's just it's like not at all what we're expecting at this point so it turns into survival mode right so we figure out how to strap everything down put stuff in the car lay down and we're like okay we made it just just try to go to sleep the wind is super strong we have earplugs it's going to be fine and then the minute that we finally get a little bit relaxed i remember saying to simone i'm like well you know what at least it's not raining and we look up and it's like actually truly under the stars you know it's perfectly clear sky and i'm laying there it takes me a little bit to fall asleep and so i suddenly start to feel this like gentle mist and immediately i think there's no way like it, it literally can't get any worse there's no clouds in the sky in which to make rain so where is this coming from and then i hear this little and i realize that the sprinklers have turned on and i don't know why i don't know who was in charge of that but obviously they were set up on some sort of system and the sprinklers start going off it would have been fine maybe perhaps if it weren't for the fact that there were these gusts of wind and so all of a sudden a, a big gust of wind comes as they were periodically doing and it just drenched us i mean pillows wet the the comforter was all soaked and we we're just getting blasted in the face directly by water and so we thought we had made it through the survival of the wind and realized that there is no way like this original plan we need to abort the mission because this is not going to happen. So we gather as much stuff as we can, start this mad dash across the field, back to the car with whatever we can save from getting soaked. And essentially we had to figure out a way. Luckily we have a Jeep so we could sleep in the back of the Jeep. We didn't have anything to sleep on, but we just threw all of our stuff into the back of the Jeep and fell asleep. And eventually, yeah, we get to go to sleep, right? But this whole image of under the stars and magic and just beautiful and peaceful nature was just completely flipped upside down. And luckily, it was absolutely hilarious. I, to this day, laugh when I see the few videos that we were able to capture of that moment. But that is exactly how i felt in my first yoga class when i was teaching i'm serious with you it was um it was a morning class it was a 7 a.m class and so in my mind i had this image painted of like oh early morning 
calm vibes. I'm not going to be stressed yet from all the things that I have to do during the day. It's going to be this very magical zen experience and I was really excited for it. Of course I was really nervous but I get there and it just was like the series of unfortunate events. I mean I couldn't get the microphone to work. I The Zoom was logged out and I couldn't find the password for the Zoom and it that studio at the time I was teaching at or just starting to teach at required um, me to set up the Zoom so that folks that were at home could do the class as well. And so my panic just goes rising, boom, 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 just level by level. And soon I get to the point very similarly where it's like, okay, you know what? All bets are off. Uh, I need to just make this happen somehow. And so I ended up using my personal phone and improvising and then didn't have music that I wanted. And and I started that class 10 minutes late, <laughs> literally 10 minutes late. And so then, of course, you know, I had to adjust my, my carefully planned sequence. And at that point, I wasn't really even sure how long things were going to take. So luckily, it ended up working out. But uh Everything that I felt in that class was the polar opposite of what I thought I was going to feel. I I felt like I was literally going to pass out or throw up, and I was envisioning myself being like this source of calming energy, right? And so this is all to say that thankfully, after I continued to, to teach and got more comfortable in my setting and my surroundings, of course, I felt so much better than this. But really, the moral of the story here, which we'll get into more as I move you through the next three ideas that I have to offer, is that you have to expect the unexpected and you have to drop the expectations because that's why you're teaching in person and not as a video recording that's controlled and perfectly edited. It's an entirely different experience. It's a different way of having to show up. And that's why I think it is so extremely valuable because that skill set is a skill set that will apply to every other area of your life. All right. Well, that is my first class experience, in case you were wondering. But let's move into number one in terms of ways that you can build the courage to actually get yourself to that point where you're showing up, whether that's for a 7 a.m. class that you're teaching or hopefully some experience where you have a support there with you to kind of take care of the details so that you can just focus on the teaching. But even the teaching itself is a very big lift, especially in the beginning. So number one, choose to be on the offense, not the defense. And what I mean by this is I, um, I really view kind of the defense as a shrinking in, a reactive, a clenching up, a kind of, I don't want to say surrender because I think that surrender can be a really beautiful thing, but I would say kind of almost a victim mindset in terms of you're feeling bad for yourself or you're feeling like people don't like you or you're making the whole point about defending yourself and your safety because it does feel so vulnerable and so instead of that if that is your tendency and that might not be your tendency but if that is how you feel when you get in those those experiences or those moments of feeling disappointment see if you can focus your attention and your energy 
outwards. That is not to say that you shouldn't come back and ask yourself how you're really feeling because if you're not enjoying your teaching on the long in the long term then then no, okay, don't don't do it. You know, you do need to process your feelings, but when you're in that moment, how can you project all of your attention outwards? And so the moment that you get hit by a feeling of disappointment, whether that's in yourself or others or things aren't going as planned, I would ask you right now to reflect on what is your gut reaction? What happens to you physically? What goes through your mind? And as you're thinking of your own, I'm going to share with you what my physical reaction is. So I have basically two gut reactions. And on the physical side of that, it's that my heart starts pounding. I feel lightheaded. My stomach drops. My hands start to shake. If it's really bad, my hands will literally shake. And everything essentially starts to feel like a trap that will make me look like a fool. And so in that moment, what happens is that my confidence completely disappears. And that is really the scariest feeling in the world for me. That is where I feel the most vulnerable. And it quite literally feels like I'm in a shark tank where I'm overthinking my every move, trying to avoid some sort of impending doom. And it's literally that intense and that severe. And so let me just tell you that working through that and learning to manage that has been probably the biggest thing that I've done in terms of growth and working through anxiety that I experience in my life in general. So I would ask you, reflect right now, what is your feeling? What happens to you when you get in that that state of, okay, things are not going as planned, we're starting to slide downhill, it feels like a slippery slope, Uh, what are your gut reactions? And what you have to do is be prepared to feel that and also know what works to help you out of it. That is not to say that you should go into every class expecting to, to feel that, but you have to be prepared enough in terms of knowing what works to help you out of it. And so my way to work out of this because i have that tendency toward a towards shrinking towards feeling like the victim towards just wanting to curl up on a little ball because i feel physically sick to my stomach or i feel like i'm going to pass out is to have i would say take back power um, have a power stance take control again even if that involves a super long silent pause and you know, maybe you're on the opposite end of things. Maybe when you feel that, your gut instinct is actually that you go into that full-on intense mode and you're maybe seen even as as aggressive. And so maybe what you need to do is the opposite, right? To kind of bring back that balance, but that balance. But I think that for me, silence has been something that has really really helped here and think about that when you listen to a speech from a speaker who's really really good and they leave a long pause of silence and they do it with a confidence that you feel safe in that silence it is super super moving so don't be afraid of that right don't be afraid of of holding space in that way 
Number two, prepare enough to be able to read the room and actually see people. I think that for a lot of my life, I have had the tendency to over-prepare and actually my dad and I joke about this because we talked the other day and we realized that we no longer pack backups for our backups. This is like... <laughs> You bring a, a backup pair of socks and then you bring a backup for the backup in case something happens to your backup. That's like what I'm saying. And so that is a level of overprepared that I was for a lot of my life. And so I think that I kind of actually rebelled against this and I went to the level of not even planning things. And the point that I realized earlier this year that I had fully swung in the opposite direction is when... We were running across the airport in South Korea, making a plane full of people wait for us because we were late and we had gotten the time wrong because it was a last minute plan. And so in that moment, I was like, you know what? Congratulations, Shauna. This is something that type A you would have never, ever in a million years done. But like, let's find the ideal point of preparation now. Like, let's not allow our lack of preparation to negatively impact other people. And so I think a really key takeaway here is that you do need to be prepared enough to be resilient and to take care of people in your class the way that you intend to take care of them. And so one really, really beautiful way actually that comes to mind that my dad's preparedness um, and both of my parents I would say are very prepared but this just happened to be something that my dad had so we we're on a family road trip and we were in the middle of nowhere I think I don't know somewhere maybe in Utah and I um, I had the car keys in my hands and I was just walking into the bathroom mindlessly and somehow you might have heard me tell the story because it's one of my favorites but Somehow, as I go to toss the keys into my pocket, I toss them to the side of my pocket and straight down this little drainage hole in the bathroom floor. Like, bloop. Like, I heard them just fall, you know, into the water. The car keys. <laughs> so, my heart about stopped, number one. Uh, I was freaking out because I'm thinking, okay, do we even have a spare? Like, what are we going to do? This is so bad. We're in the middle of nowhere. Like, my parents are going to hate me. This is why I need to pay more attention. Blah, 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 blah. So I go out and luckily they had not shut the car yet. So we had access to the things inside the car. And my dad is like, you know what? I have this coat hanger, this metal coat hanger here for like just this kind of thing. Of course, as one does, I should probably put a metal coat hanger in my car. I don't even have one now after having gone through this experience. But he takes the coat hanger, makes it into this little hook, goes into the bathroom, fishes the thing down the hole, scrapes it around and is like, oh my gosh, I think I feel the keys. Hold on. And so we pull up first this wad of like nasty, gross Ew, I don't even want to think about it, things that were in the drain. And then he pulls up the keys on the end of this metal coat hanger, saved, keys there, and somehow the battery still worked even after, you know, being in the water and all this. But that to me was like, wow, you know, what a different experience we had that day, even in the turn of events that was not favorable after the mistake was made to, you know, maybe you're teaching, you say something or you do something, you go a direction that you didn't intend to go, but having the resilience and the preparedness to be able to 
run with that or, you know, save, (laughs) save the situation essentially is incredible. I mean, it turned into a celebration. I think that we were maybe, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, right? Because I hit like a, a low, low in that moment. I was, it was a big, oh shit moment. But afterwards I felt even more joyful. I felt, uh, I felt happier, honestly, to be, to be quite serious with you. And so at the same time, as you want to be prepared for those moments, you also need to know your shit, right? Um, I think that the thing that has really helped me with this, because where do you draw the line is impossible. You're never going to know everything. But what really has helped me is looking to someone that I trust, a teacher that I trust, or a system that you can trust. And so by saying know your shit, I'm not saying go and do another certification. I would actually encourage you not to chase certifications. I think that they unfold naturally. You will feel the pull when you meet a teacher or an opportunity that seems right, or you find a gap in your knowledge that is really, truly kind of this burning desire to know more and to develop more. But many of you probably know that I actually redid my 200 hour. I did the first one online because it ended up being during the pandemic times. And then I redid a 200 hour in person because I was craving that experience in in how to assist people at a high level and how to feel comfortable in the physical space of the classroom. And so, you know, I also found quite a few teachers and I've been really, really lucky to, in addition to learn from my teachers, be able to learn from so many other teachers through the the podcast, this project that has um, bloomed into something really beautiful. But I've also found systems that I can trust. And so for me, when I was starting out, I felt this kind of need to reinvent the wheel with every single class that I was teaching. I wanted it to be more creative, more clever, more entertaining than anybody else's class. And my even more than that, more so than my previous class. And so what happens then as a result of that is that you're so focused on what you're trying to teach that you're not even seeing people. And so for me, teaching a set sequence or a semi-set sequence like that uh, Ashtanga, modifications of Ashtanga and Rocket have been super beautiful because I know more or less where I'm going and I'm able to take my attention and place it onto students and see what they're doing, assist them, modify things for them. And so that is another thing that you can look at if you're saying, I'm feeling super uncomfortable. Well, take away a little bit of that discomfort by either a knowing really well what it is that you're wanting to teach um, or b perhaps drawing inspiration from a set sequence or from a teacher that you you trust okay in addition to this um in terms of just getting comfortable speaking in front of people and teaching Practice how you're going to start the class by standing in front of a mirror and talking to yourself. I know that's a really annoying exercise to do, but actually do it and look at yourself as you're speaking to yourself. Notice how you're feeling and say the things that make sense to say to yourself in that moment, because that's what 
will land really well with students. So what's not going to land super well is having a completely pre-rehearsed sort of spiel that is maybe a, maybe it's genuine, so I'm not going to say it's it's not genuine, but it it might not fit the context once you actually get there. So you can have the ideas um, and the themes that you want to pull through very clear, but then when you stand in front of the mirror and you see yourself, and I see myself right now, I'm feeling pretty energized, I'm feeling energetic, and so I could speak to myself in a way that's like, powerful and assertive and maybe on a different day when I'm standing in front of the mirror and I see that I'm feeling a little nervous you know I'm feeling a little uncomfortable I might speak to myself in a way that's a little bit sweeter that's a little bit softer and is going to land and get that same message through in a more effective manner so I hope that that makes sense but the other thing that you can do is actually teach yourself an entire class I mean quite literally get on your mat and again this might be an annoying exercise but say the words out loud and if that's really too distracting for you to do i would challenge that number one and say try it (laughs) and try it because that's there's a reason why it's feeling challenging or uncomfortable but at least say it in your mind and stand at the top of your mat and go you know inhale arms up overhead udvahasasana exhale fold forward uttanasana and lead yourself through envision you know different things that you might say to yourself based on how you're feeling in that moment a third way that you can really get comfortable is by recording yourself and this is the hardest one of all so i would say especially in the beginning you know you might record already some content and you might record classes but to record and envision that you're teaching live at a big event or record and imagine you're teaching in person and there's another yoga instructor in your class. Can you believe it? Yes, that moment where you see there's another yoga instructor in your class. So just commit to, let's say 15 minutes. Hit record, start teaching. Do not stop teaching until that 15 minute timer has gone off. Um, Don't start and then restart if you mess up just keep going you know laugh it off whatever you need to do but getting used to that go point because the thing about teaching in person is that you have a time your class starts and whether or not you're feeling ready at that point you are going to start at that point and so with a video you're actually able to go back and watch it and that is the probably most uncomfortable thing to do one of the most uncomfortable things but it is also the most wonderful at the same time and you will learn so much and that's why live practice actually and that's something that's integrated into my off the mat mastery program is because it's kind of one of those tasks that nobody ever feels like doing but then when you do it you're like whoa okay i didn't realize that i was saying this like that or wow that was really really well said i should say that more often or i should expand on that and so i would tell you that if you're not feeling like doing these things that i'm i'm mentioning here then you might not want it bad enough and i don't mean that in a way that is like oh you're going to fail because you don't want it bad enough but i would challenge you what's getting in the way are you letting the lazy brain win or do you need some accountability like what is it that is preventing you 
right now, if you feel too much imposter syndrome to start teaching, what is stopping you from taking one of these first three steps? Get really, really clear on that thing because that is ultimately holding you back right now. And I really think that these steps are essential because they are going to enable you to see actual people. And once you're in class, what you can do to see people, and this comes from my own experience and also from other interviews I've had on this podcast, is to find a face that you're able to tune in on, like a a friendly face, hopefully. If you're not able to do that, you're not able to really make eye contact with someone who's looking back at you, maybe you can teach the class that you needed at this point in your practice or you can think of somebody else who you know really needs this class right now and you can teach it with all of your heart with them in mind Um, but usually best practice is to bit by bit be able to connect and to be able to look people in the eyes and all of that stuff in especially when you start teaching so i don't want to overwhelm you with it because it's really hard you know a lot of times when we start teaching we're in a sort of survival mode and so the sooner that you can get out of that survival mode at least for moments within the class the sooner you will get so much more comfortable and you'll be able to connect on such a deeper level number three confidence is a decision so practice choosing it and i don't think that i mean be confident in order to prove a point about yourself. Um, I know that I don't mean that actually, because that I think is a lot of times what confidence implies. Sometimes I think that when we we imagine or envision a very confident, charismatic leader, we don't wanna be that person because it feels like they're just in their ego. And that is not at all the point. The point is to be able to serve other people better which I will argue you are able to do from a confident state of mind so much better. And so I want to talk about imposter syndrome because that is the thing that we are all constantly dealing with. And one of my favorite sayings is that the only people who don't feel like imposters are actual imposters. So if you're feeling like an imposter, it's a pretty good indication of the fact that you're thinking things through and you're wanting to make sure that you're prepared and you really do care that what you're bringing to people is worth value. So pat yourself on the back if you're feeling like an imposter now or you ever have, um, because that is a good sign that you do care about people. And what I would say is that start with knowing the fact that you are an area expert, okay? Already, right here, right now, you're an area expert because your experience, your personal lived experience is a superpower. I think that a lot of times we don't understand that. Nobody else will see and process things in the exact way that we see and process things. And so I like to ask this question of why are you a unicorn? Like what about you makes you a unique combination that is not present elsewhere and so that can be a very hard question to answer and it can feel like a silly question to answer but in all seriousness pause me right now if you need to and just think of one way literally one way in which you are unique and that will start to combat the feeling of imposter syndrome that you feel 
at the end of the day, what I've found after, you know, I don't know, hundreds of classes now at this point that I've taught and also dozens of interviews is that connection and vibe. I hate to use that just very generic sounding word, but the vibe of the the energy that you're bringing is the most important thing. And so really the most dangerous thing that can happen is getting all caught up and feeling like an imposter and feeling like you need to be something that you're not. And that will completely block all of the, the power of the essence that is you. In addition, there are things that you can do to set the scene so that you can enter confidently. So you know your shit, you know, to the level that you are. You recognize that you are an area expert. Set the scene so that you can come in in a way that feels confident and that sparks confidence for you. You can even think about a movie you know, how does the superhero come in? What kind of music, what kind of energy, what kind of colors? And careful here too, you know, because this is a two-way street. Yes, for example, (laughs) this is a silly example, but um, it's the one that came to my mind. A growling, aggressive grizzly bear would be a very, in my mind at least, a very confident figure, but that is not going to instill confidence in other people that is going to intimidate them and that is not going to make them feel safe whereas if they see a superhero you know um they're going to feel like oh i can breathe a little easier because i have a leader here and he's going to look out for us and he's going to help us on what it is that we're looking to do so that is a a key distinction but regardless think about the kind of music even that you have before class think about how you want to present yourself, how you feel good, and how you can just help yourself, give yourself the extra tools and that extra ounce of of help to come in confidently from the beginning. And I want to talk about why confidence is important. I think that this is a very misunderstood thing within the yoga world, at least in my opinion, right? So again, little disclaimer here, but a dominating energy is usually viewed as a negative thing and yes if it is like a forceful sort of dominating energy i would agree but at the same time there are actually lots of studies studies that show that a dominating energy can be relaxing when it is a person that you trust so i think that it is beautiful to give choices when you are leading a yoga class absolutely but at the same time It is not relaxing to me personally when I feel that the teacher is wishy-washy or unsure. And so that's where language like maybe, um, that becomes an interesting topic because, and I catch myself doing this all the time as well, but what I would like to hear is clear instruction to do a particular posture and then a choice to do that or XYZ alternative that's best for your practice today. But when you get into this kind of feeling unsure about what it is that you're offering and what it is that you're teaching, that is not relaxing for the people that you're teaching. And so maybe start with teaching something that is a bit more simple that you are truly sure of and that will help that that energy come across a little bit better. So another thing that really happens too is not feeling like you have anything of value to share. And if you're feeling like that, I will say one thing to you. Go and practice 
Go and do the yoga that you enjoy doing. Go and practice, you know, if you're listening and you're not taking all of this in terms of teaching yoga, go and do the thing that you enjoy doing, that you have in your heart that you wanted to share with other people. Go and do that thing. And clear your mind. Reset your energy. There's lots of different ways that you can do this. Um, I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. My ways to reset my energy are doing Wim Hof breathwork practice. You can do that online on YouTube for free. You could dance in front of the mirror to obnoxious reggaeton music, probably just me, but hey, if there's anybody else out there, have your own little dance party, any kind of music that you want, and laugh, you know, Uh, laugh and take a break, enjoy. I think something that can help you feel at peace in doing this is giving yourself a set amount of time to go out and set all of this behind and then also give yourself a set amount of time that you're going to work or at least sit down to do the work to write or to think or to plan when you come back and so it doesn't have to be this overly strict amount of planning but let's say I'm going to take the next 45 minutes to an hour roughly to go out and do whatever it is, go on a walk, listen to some fun music, and by 1 p.m., I am going to be sitting at my laptop planning out what I want to talk about in my podcast, even if it is like pulling hair (laughs) to get any words out, I'm still going to sit down and I'm still going to do the work. And you know what? Nine times out of 10, it's the same thing with once you get on your yoga mat, when you're feeling resistance, you start moving and voila, you find that you do actually have a lot of things to share and you do have a lot of things to say because you pushed yourself to sit down and actually do the work. Another thing too that will help you feel like you have more value to share is to learn more. So simple, but learn little things wherever you can. Be curious, learn about how stuff works and and don't do that in a way that feels forceful. Look towards the things that you naturally are curious about and I think that a very powerful thing that it, it's no different in the yoga industry is that whenever you're able to cross industries with information you create something very dynamic you create something very powerful and often something that is um is of extreme value so that's why i will say be curious and and follow what it is that truly interests you okay The other thing I will say is that you do have to know that some things will land better than others. Some structures and organizations of ideas are easier to understand. However, and this should give you peace, my findings from the interviews with dozens of exceptional leaders in the yoga world have taught me this one key thing is that you can be wildly successful in many different ways. And what really matters is that you do the work to find out your way of doing things and you get proof of concept that your way is actually landing with people. And the only way that you can get that proof of concept is from actually doing it, from actually going out, trying it. And so if at this point you have not started teaching or you have not started sharing your offering with the world, I would say an absolutely non-negotiable first step that you have no excuse 
to not be doing is to get beta clients or to get beta students. Get people that are intrigued by what you have to share and make it a good arrangement so that they will want to do it. A lot of times that means doing things for free and I'm not suggesting that you give away your work forever. Sometimes actually there's a sweet spot where you give them a little bit of something and they give a little bit of something in return to make sure that they're dedicated and show up with their whole heart. But find those people and make an offer that they absolutely cannot resist that is great and you will start in that way to get a bit of proof of concept on what it is that you're doing. And the first unavoidable step to take is to begin. And that is how I would sum up this entire episode. And so yeah, I'm just going to repeat that one more time. This first unavoidable step to take is to begin. So I wish you all of the luck in taking that first step, whether that's a first step to just teach a first class or the first step to get more comfortable teaching. And if you've made it all the way to the end of the episode, send me the emoji of a teacher. You can search it and it will appear in the emojis if you search teacher, this little figure with a chalkboard behind it. Send me that emoji and I will send you a virtual pat on the back, a big hug, and I will catch you in the next episode. Ciao, ciao.